Welcome to the TCO Method, the only show focused on helping you massively increase your net operating income. I am Andy McQuaid, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to the Thursday edition of the podcast. Today, I want to spend a little bit of time on due diligence. And no, not the due diligence from every other podcast out there talking about real estate. I don't do the financial due diligence. I don't do title searches. That's not my job. Everything that we talk about on this show should be put in the light of how to max out your net operating income. And that means not taking short-term gains at the expense of long-term benefit, right? So every other thing we've talked about on this show has been the long game. And so when I get involved and I go with a client on a due diligence walk, I'm going to tell you in this program exactly what I look for from a CapEx upgrade reno type of standpoint. I also don't get involved in design. Not my thing. My wife will tell you I am terrible at anything that has to do with anything pretty. I'm not an artist. I do not care. Not that's out of the way. Let's talk about the due diligence that I look for. So when I get involved in a project, usually it's pre-purchase. Sometimes it's after purchase, but right before renovations, CapEx, construction, whatever you want to call it, begins. So when I walk, I look at everything in a unit from a, how is this working just because it's there doesn't mean it's okay. And where's the hidden cost baked into product XYZ, right? Because when we're in the beginning of a CapEx project or a reno, it's exactly where you want to be when you're looking to start something with the TCO method to get your best bang for your buck. TCO method works everywhere, but the bang for your buck comes when you're already going to replace something or you're already in process and spending the labor to be there. But you're going to maybe spend a little bit more on certain things to reduce your operating costs on maintenance, utilities, overhead, down the road. So with that being said, let's get started. All right, so typically... We're going to start doing any type of due diligence walk from the stuff I handle, right? And I said, I don't do the financial stuff. I don't do the numbers. I don't look at leasing. I don't look at verifying the trailing 12. I don't look at verifying rent rolls. That is not what I do. All of that stuff should be done either by you or someone else on your team. And everything we talk about, like always, you need to understand the numbers so you can do the trust but verify thing. You don't have to understand every single step of the process and know every single detail. You do have to look at what you get submitted on a report after a due diligence walk and be able to interpret what it means to you and your business and whether or not the numbers are going to work. Okay? So, the first thing we do, we start outside, right? We look at the lot and grounds, whatever it is, multifamily, single family, office, it doesn't matter. 
what condition is the parking lot in, how much meat is left in it before you have to do any type of repair, how's the drainage look, is there drainage, are, there, are they intact, is water flowing across the middle of it where there should be a culvert to, you know, is it going to wash the road out in however long, like these are all things you need to look at if you're not comfortable looking at grading looking at slopes and angles and managing that part of the analysis, then you need to bring somebody in who is. Because all that stuff is super important because parking lots are expensive. Like they're one of the most expensive repairs that you can make, which is why good maintenance on them, good preventive maintenance on them is so important. In the Northeast, they take a lot of abuse from salt and they're usually blacktop. They're usually not concrete because of the salt use up here and the fact that you get that whole freeze thaw expansion contraction that breaks them up which is where the maintenance comes in you need to make sure that they're getting sealed regularly like two to four years maybe five on an outlier any longer than that and you're going to start to really degrade it you're going to shorten the amount of time that that blacktop is good for just based on the, the issues we have with winter up here if you're you know where there's less severe winters, a lot less hard freezes. Concrete is kind of more common. There's still blacktop, obviously, and it lasts a whole lot better, but it gets a, a different effect. It gets worn down by the rain and the sun and the weather. Maintenance on blacktop is still important. You need to seal your concrete regardless because you don't want the water getting down inside and causing the cracks and giving the plants food and all the other stuff. So there's maintenance whether you're concrete or asphalt. But the real thing you need to look for is where does the water go? Where's the drainage? Where does it connect to? Are there collectors? Are there enough collectors? Are they in the right locations? Do the driveways slope to the collectors? Are the collectors level with the, the top of the, the pavement and, dry, and you know driveway so that they're not bottoming people's vehicles out when they go over the top of them? Right? There's a difference between a good collector and a pothole that happens to have a collector at the bottom of it. All those things are important because they drive curb appeal a little bit of a safety thing if people have lowered cars lowered trucks but functionally the whole job of those collectors and that drainage system is to take the water away from the from the properties where people live you don't want water issues going to your foundations especially on these older properties that don't necessarily have good drainage they may not have french drains around the exterior at the, the footer of the basement, if there is a basement, or around the slab, if it's a slab foundation. You need to make sure that your gutters are carrying water away from the property's substructure foundation. You need to make sure that your grading, the slope of the land around the exterior of the building, is all grading away and not in. Because when it rains, if it's grading in, you're going to have water intrusion issues. Even with good drainage, it's still going to happen. Because there comes a point when the drainage just doesn't carry it away fast enough. So if you've got below-grade stuff, the last thing you want is sump pumps in your tenants' units, right? So what you're going to do is, if you're doing a due diligence walk, you're going to look at it and you're going to judge how that grade is and then you're going to do research on what kind of drainage is there because that's also expensive. 
not only because that drainage has to be maintained and cleaned and repaired every once in a while, but if you have French drains, you should be tying your gutters into them, and then they should be tying into maybe your collectors in your driveway, or maybe not. Maybe it goes to just a, a drainage field somewhere. If you've got septic at the property, the whole game changes because now you're concerned with carrying rainwater away from the lich field for the septic, septics in some cases, and everything needs to be looked at for, you know, functionality because septics are a huge money sink for multifamily, huge, because the maintenance on them can be ridiculous. Like sewers, tenants are going to do whatever they do. Things are going to get flushed that don't need to be there. They're going to cause issues. You're going to need to snake stuff. It's sort of to be expected. When it happens in a septic, it is way harder to deal with. And you don't need complications from bad runoff of groundwater and rainwater coming into that area at all. Avoid it like the plague. So once we are done looking at the driveways, parking lots, and whether or not your grading is sufficient around the buildings, you want to look at gutters, make sure that they're there. doesn't matter what part of the country you're in, I don't care what you say, the building needs freaking gutters. Water will do just as much damage to a footer for a slab as it will to a footer with the basement. Are you going to get a wall heave? No. You're not going to get a wall heave because there's no walls. But it's still going to cause issues with the slab itself. Not to mention that concrete absorbs and conducts water up to 22 feet up. So moisture is being absorbed depending on the age of the building and whether or not it's got a good vapor seal, water seal like a, a sill sealer underneath the, the plate that contacts. Anyway, I'm getting technical. Anyway, just trust me. Concrete and water do bad things when the concrete is touching wood. Okay? The end. All right. The gutters need to be there. They need to either be redirected away from the foundation and down the grade towards whatever drainage exists, unless it's a septic. And they need to, or they need to be connected to whatever French drain system, collector system exists on the property already. If they're not there, it might be worth spending the money to do it. But again, depending on the age of the property, you need to take a look and see if there have been problems or not. Not every property is going to be the same. Not every property is going to be as prone to this as others. You still got to look for it. So anyway, all the sidewalks, walkways, etc. What are they condition-wise? What are they made of? Are they blacktop? Are they concrete? Did somebody put blacktop over the concrete? Are they gravel? Are they lined with mulch beds and plants? Or are they just grass that you can mow up to? All your landscaping stuff all around the buildings, is that done correctly? Are there 
all of the plant proof weed blockers in place or is it just in the ground and grass grows up and you got to just constantly dump mulch on it and it's going to be a labor sink to keep it pretty does the property hire it out or do they do it in-house like all those things need to kind of be looked at landscaping is not a big deal it's really just prettying it up and it's a leasing problem i see for personally yes it costs money typically your lawn work landscaping snow removal are all done by the same company and you contract for it for a year or you know seasonally depending on whether it's whatever but anyway i digress not really super important just something to keep an eye on as far as a cost and maintenance goes another thing to look at is how close are trees especially pine trees to the, the properties and the roof lines um, if they have gutters, are the gutters being cleaned regularly? When you're looking at the outside, if there's brick on the building, when was the last time the brick was tucked and pointed? Because nobody seals it, nobody sprays it with concrete sealer, right? All that mortar weighs down or wears down over time and it needs to be patched or touched up to keep the bricks in place because eventually you're going to lose so much mortar that the bricks are going to start falling out and you're going to have a heck of a lot larger bill on your hands. So I always look at chimneys. Any type of um, flashing protrusions. If I can get on the roof, I'll look at the, the condition of the roof. If I can see the soffits, I'll look at the soffits. Are they vinyl? Are they aluminum? Are they wood? If they're wood, have they been painted? You know, do I see any obvious signs of insect intrusion or weather damage? Are they rotting? Are the, is there peeling paint? All that stuff. Windows by now, God, I hope they're all vinyl or aluminum insulated windows. They may not be depending on the property and the location. So you've got to look at that. Is it going to be worth doing a window upgrade? Typically it relies on function. Um, but if the property is paying for the heat or paying for the cooling, then that becomes a factor for the affordability of the operation of the property. It might be worth changing the windows if they're over 20 years old, 25 years old, 30 years old as a part of a capital expenditure. Usually there's companies out there who will come in occupied or not, and they'll do all the windows in a property in a two-month span or two-week span, depending on the size of the property. So it could be something that you want to keep on your radar. You know, look, are there screens intact from the outside? Do the blinds look good, right? Curb appeal thing, you look, are the blinds attractive or are they old 70s vertical blinds with slats missing in every other window, right? This is stuff you're going to see when you get inside, but curb appeal-wise on the outside, you want it to look good. Lighting. Are the buildings lit? If there's lighting on the building, is it coming from the ground up, shining on the walls, or is it coming from the soffits down? Are there pole lights around the perimeter of the roads and parking area? Not just for security reasons, safety stuff, slip and falls. Dot your I's, cross your T's. If the lighting is insufficient, you need to think about adding some or modifying what's there to provide the right amount of lighting without killing the effect inside your tenant's apartments where it can't be dark at night because they're getting blasted with 20,000 lumens of LEDs from the ground. So there has to be a happy medium. And towns and counties, usually villages and towns, have sometimes light pollution requirements that most of the contractors in the area that you would hire to bring in and do that would know anyway, but typically it doesn't allow upward blasting lights to be installed 
any place where there's a code or a zoning enforcement in effect for that stuff. Going into the interior of the buildings, starting at the basement, looking for wet joists, looking for water stains on plywood, looking for obvious old plumbing that could be an issue down the road, anything that's not PEX or PVC for drainage. You know, if you see cast iron, if you see copper, if you see galvanized, if you see ABS, if you see CPVC, all of those things are extremely dated. You can still really do copper and get away with it for plumbing, especially in some higher end properties. Has a limited lifespan. Copper will start to pinhole at about 40 to 45 years. The pinholes will continue until there's really nothing left of the pipes. The same thing happens even more rapidly with the drainage. So if you see copper drainage, the problem with copper drainage is those drain holes or those pinholes form. But the other part of it is that it's the chemicals that are used to clean the drains and keep them open that speed that up versus just water running through the pipes like you would get through a municipal water system. And hard water, soft water, all that stuff speeds up or slows down how fast the copper builds up problems as far as getting thinner and thinner and thinner and getting pinholed. So knowing that kind of stuff gives you an idea of, oh, we're going to be doing a lot of repairs because all these, all these copper drain pipes are 45 or 50 years old now. Or all my plumbing is 50 years old and it's all copper. Or it's all, you know, galvanized or steel or whatever it is. ABS and CPVC, they're not... They're not necessarily a problem. They're a little less forgiving over time as they get hard and brittle and age up. CPVC releases a lot of nasty stuff over time into, into plumbing, in addition to being a little bit brittle and crappy. Um, if you see stuff, it's not necessarily going to benefit you to continue to replace what's there with existing, number one, because like, Copper drainage is a waste of money. You use PVC. Number two, CPVC is junk. And number three, ABS is not safe to drink out of either. So you've got some portable, potable water safety issues if you see those things. As things fail, you replace it with the new product that takes over for that old product. Don't buy copper drain pipe that's three inches in diameter just because that's what's there. Part of the TCO method when you're doing anything is keep it simple, stupid. Simplicity is your friend. Complexity is the enemy of execution. That is like a Tony Robbins thing. Look at hot water tanks. Look at ages. Look at the plaques. See if there's been regular maintenance or not. If it's been recorded. I doubt it. Most of the utilities in my area do a free hot water tank inspection, free boiler inspection, free furnace inspections because they want to sell tune-ups, but they also want to know how much energy those things are using. Sometimes there's grant programs, sometimes there's not, but they like to keep, a, I think, a thumb on what's where so they can plan ahead a little bit. I know that sounds unlikely for anything involving any type of government money, but there it is. The hot water tank plaques, the furnace plaques, the boiler plaques, whatever, there's always a space there for when they've been serviced. Most of the time they don't get filled out, so you'll probably have to pull that from whatever maintenance records are available at the property if there are any. But you can get an idea because there's always a serial number and a date of manufacture on those that you can take a 
a cell phone picture of, and it'll give you an idea. And you don't have to take a picture of every single one. Randomize it. Just pick and choose, right? But you want to make sure you're looking at the, the blow-off valves to see if they're leaking. You want to look at the quality of the connections. You want to be looking at the valves and whether they're, they're gate valves or whether they're um, quarter-turn ball valves. Like All that stuff affects the useful life of those products and you can sort of start to predict what the failures are going to look like same thing when you're in a maintenance shop ignore the stuff covered in dust look at the stuff that is moving now most maintenance shops are in basements go figure when you're looking at their inventory look for the stuff that doesn't have dust on it and it could give you a clue as to what they're replacing a lot of so um, if there is a basement, you got to look at the wall for heaves, look at drainage, look for a sump pump, look for standing water, look for mold and mildew. Make sure that you're, you know, you don't have to get a moisture meter and poke the lumber. Like that's not important, but you need to be looking like under the bathroom penetrations, under the kitchen penetrations for water damage and leaks. So you can remember that when you're in the unit, the units you do get access to to look for soft plywood from the top when you step on it. You want to look for uh, failed tile. If there's tile, you want to look in the bathrooms at failed caulk. You want to look for all of the things that could add up to issues over time. Because if you find failed caulk or cracked failing tile in one, you're going to find it in others, which means that there's been some sort of neglect on keeping things sealed and tight and clean and nice. And it's always those that go first. Open the cabinets under the sink. Look for water damage and sag in all the cabinetry. 99% of them are going to have something if they're older. But look for actively damp, actively soft stuff now. Look for weird plumbing connections. Look for weird heat connections. Look for weird ductwork routing. All that stuff will cost you more in the long run. Look for bathrooms that don't have vents in them. Look for matching lighting fixtures. Look for matching uh, door hardware for cabinets, entry doors to the apartment, padlock or padlocks, deadbolts, all of your uh, interior hardware. See if it all matches because you're going to get a good idea of the scope of your renovations when you're trying to build curb appeal if everything's not matching, the chances of you finding something that matches those older things isn't going to be worth the effort. It'll be cheaper for you just to replace everything and make it all match at the time you're doing your run out because you're going to pay more to match older styles that are now dead or not manufactured as often. What else do you look at when you're doing your due diligence walks? Condition of the cabinets, condition of the drains. If you see those stupid adjustable bathroom drains that have the, the accordion pipe on them that you can turn, those things are prone to, I mean, they're, you're going to be snaking pipes for the rest of your life and using like 47 gallons of Drano a day. Just don't do it. Get somebody in there who knows how to actually use a P-trap or an S-trap and configure it properly because those things are a cluster and you should never, ever have one in an apartment ever because all it does is spike your, spike your expenses. Stop using vanity cabinets that require them. That's one of your lesson plans. But what I look for when I'm in the units, I look at the window sills, I look for water damage, water infiltration, I look for uh, anything on the, the venting, 
areas where you've got venting up. Like, does it actually connect to a pipe? Does it go out to a soffit? Does it go out to a wall? Or does it just vent into an open space, like an attic or a floor joist? Because you'll see that. It doesn't go anywhere. They, there's no connections. There's no venting at the end. They just vent the moisture into the floor, and then you've got mold and all sorts of other things that you've got to watch out for. The latest thing in the last five or ten years has been putting laundry in units that were never intended to have laundry, so venting's been a huge issue. So they're using the condensing dryers. problem with condensing dryers is they dump the moisture they suck out of the laundry into the apartment. They're usually stuck in a closet that's been converted where they just ran some, some water in a drain for the, the washing machine. So if those aren't properly vented, if there's no vent above them connecting to something, or there's not a louvered door, you need to be looking at those to see if there's mold. A lot of them will use that FRP panel, the fiberglass resilient panel on the inside and line it. Doesn't stop the moisture from getting behind it and turning the drywall into just a solid sheet of black mold. It's good because you can charge for an amenity. It's bad because mold, lawsuits, exposure, your mileage may vary depending on what state you're in and whether or not those lawsuits get any traction. New York, it's a cluster, so you just got to be careful. I look for any type of evidence that there's movement in the building. So in the common area hallways inside the units, I'll look at exterior wall corners. I will look at places where I think there's a load-bearing member coming from the roof or the floor above to look for cracks in the drywall that have been patched frequently and painted over or just cracks that are there, period. Um, I look for failures in construction of like stairs and stuff like that. Smoke detectors, I'll take them off the walls. I'll look at the dates on the back. Smoke detectors don't work anymore if they're past 10 years old, generally. I keep saying this. It doesn't freaking matter if it beeps. You take it off the wall, you push the button, it beeps. You've now proven the button works the speaker works, and that the battery's good. That's it. They run off of a radioactive isotope that detects the smoke. It has a half-life because it's a radioactive isotope. Once that hits about 10 years old, it is dead. You cannot rely on it. I have seen buildings burn without the smoke alarms going off because it's been past that life. Just because there is a smoke detector does not mean that it works. If it is 2023, if you take one off the wall and it says anything earlier than 2013, you need to budget replacing every single one on the property. When you do that, if your municipality is awake, they are going to make you meet today's code. Each state has their own set. You may need one per bedroom, plus one in a common area, hallway. You may need a CO detector, if there's any type of natural gas or propane coming into those units, or into the building period. At least one per apartment that is hardwired interconnected. So, the expense is not insignificant. Especially if there's no interconnection between them, and there's a lot of units in there. It can be tens of thousands of dollars to do that. But if there is a fire and the 25 and 30 year old smoke detector doesn't go off, even though you proved you put a battery in it and tested it, the insurance companies know now that the units are no good after 10 years. You will lose every time. 
don't be that guy. Uh, what else do I look for? I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff. We're coming up hard against time. I might have to do another episode on this. Um, but when I look at due diligence, I go in as a subject matter expert on product and total cost of ownership to operate that product. So I look for old toilets with huge tanks, right? Anything pre like 2002 is probably a 1.6 to, oh God, it goes like 1.6 and then it's like 2, 2.4, 3.5. And then they're like seven and eight gallon flush in the eighties and seventies. So it's important to know that. So you can predict what your savings are going to be over time for changing those. Same things for shower heads, aerators, air conditioner. How old are they? What's the condition? Is it going to need to be replaced? Is it running on 220 or 120 or 240 or 120? Whatever. Um, how do the breakers look? Are the breaker panels like fire starter panels from Federal or are they square D or Cutler Hammer? Little things that involve a little bit of technical knowledge. Uh, and then I look at the appliances as well. So I look at the brand. The age, which you can just open, look at the serial number on the door. Look, there's usually a date stamp that says, hey, this is a Maytag. It was built in this. Anyway, uh, that's all I got time for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have any questions, feel free to email me, podcasttcomethod.com. If you have any feedback, anything I missed that was completely blatant that you want me to cover later, send me that as well. Like the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave a comment. Leave a review. Please, please, please share it. Let people know it's out there. I appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your week. 